Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of St. Mark chapter number 5. The book of St. Mark chapter number 5. We're going to begin reading with verse number 21. St. Mark chapter number 5 began reading with verse number 21. The Bible says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. And she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered there where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked. She was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her To eat. Father, I thank you for your incredible, incredible word. God, I just pray today, Father, Lord, that uh, you will will take your word today. God, I pray there will be a a powerful anointing upon the, the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, may we receive your word, Father. May we also, Father, believe you to do great and mighty things in our lives, in the lives of our of our family, our loved ones, our friends. God, all of these we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated. 
this morning. Well, just in case that this is your first Sunday with us, let me set up today's message. I felt the Lord impress me to declare the year 2016 a year of prayer. And so that's what I have done. I began this year with a series of sermons on prayer. Then I felt impressed to move from prayer to miracles. And I, I believe that I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, miracles follow prayer. So I believe that God wants to work miracles in our lives as a result of our focus on prayer. Well, this morning we're going to continue a series that I began last Sunday. I'm calling Meditating on the Miracles. Meditating on the miracles. So for the next few weeks, we are going to focus on some of the miracles of Jesus. This morning, we discover two miracles recorded in the scripture that we just read a moment ago. As we meditate or as we dissect these miracles today, I believe there are five things that become very clear. Five things that I believe the Lord would have me to point out, shine a spotlight on, and share with you This morning. The first one is this Where Jesus is, people will gather. Where Jesus is, people will gather. We find that in verse number 21. It said, Now when Jesus uh, had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. See, we need to understand this morning that Jesus was and is a people magnet. People are just naturally drawn uh, to Jesus. Where Jesus is, people will gather. I think as a church this morning, we need to understand this as a church. See, See, it just seems to me that the church today has it backwards. The modern day church today is all about drawing people to the church. All about what can we do to draw more people to the church. All about catering to people so that people will come to church. What we should be doing, I believe, is catering to Jesus so that Jesus will come to church. Because if Jesus shows up at the church, people will gather. In light of of this, let let me suggest two things right here this morning. Number one, the church should create an inviting atmosphere. The church should should create an inviting atmosphere. If we want Jesus to show up in our church, then we should do everything that we can to make Jesus feel welcome in the church. One of the things that I like about today's modern courses that we sing is that most of them, not all of them, but most of them are songs that are sung to God, not just songs sung about God. I know everybody's got their preference, and I know everybody likes to shoot at the other thing, whatever, but the thing that I do like about today's course is that they're not just songs written about God, but they are songs that are written, love songs that are written directly to God. The psalmist said in Psalm 22 and verse 3, he said, He inhabits, God inhabits or dwells among or takes up residence in the praises of his people. Somebody said, go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. 
If we want Jesus to show up in our church, we need to celebrate him. The focus of our church should be on Jesus and not on us. It ought to be about worshiping and praising and adoring and loving our Lord and not about having to have our own way, amen, and our own preference. We should create an inviting atmosphere. But not only should the church create an inviting atmosphere, the church should create an including atmosphere. Jesus was very inclusive. Truth of the matter is, and some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say, but prove me wrong from the word. He included a lot of questionable people in his personal life. Peter was a fisherman. Some of the roughest people of that day were fishermen. One of, the, one of the roughest places to be in that day was the fishing docks. Judas was a thief and a deceiver. Matthew was a tax collector. The IRS was about as popular in Matthew's day as they are today. Mary Magdalene was possessed with seven demons when she first met Jesus. And this is just a small list of questionable people who Jesus consistently hung out with. Let me ask you this question this morning. When did the church become so exclusive? When did the church become so exclusive? And let me ask you this this morning. Why is the church so exclusive? Matter of fact, in most churches today, you must dot your I's and cross your T's exactly the same way as the leadership or you are not allowed to join. In most churches today, people are excluded from membership by men that have been included in salvation by Jesus. Jesus is going to let them into heaven, but man won't let them into their church. A church should create an including atmosphere. Where Jesus is, people... People will gather. But what we need to understand is not all of the people who gather will look, act, or think the way we think they ought to. But let me remind you this morning that it's the job of Jesus and not us to take these people and make them look, act, and think the way he wants them to. It's our job to catch the fish. It's Jesus' job to clean them. Five things I see in the miracle, miracles we are meditating on today. Number one, where Jesus is, people will gather. Number two, the second thing that I see here is where Jesus is, people will present their problems. We find this in verses 22 through 29. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue named, came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged 
him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had. No better, rather she grew worse. But she heard about Jesus and she came behind him in the crowd, touched his garment. Because she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Two things we need to understand this morning. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I like the old bumper sticker that said, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Jesus said in Matthew 9 and 12, he said, Jesus said, those that are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he said in Luke chapter 14 and verse 13, he said to invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and the halt. And he said, if you do that, Jesus said, you will be blessed. The church is not supposed to be a place where we all dress up and come play make-believe. I said the church is not supposed to be a place where we all dress up and we come and we play make-believe. Oh, oh, we make-believe we're perfect. Oh, we make-believe we have no problems. We make-believe we have it all together in every area of our life. No. The church is a hospital for sinners. Second thing I want to say here, and that is the church can get a little messy at times. Take a look at the New Testament church. We, 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 we put the New Testament church on some kind of pedestal. And we say, man, if we could just be like the New Testament church. Well, let's take a look at the New Testament church. It had more than its share of flaws, more than its share of problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1, Paul addresses the church of Corinth and he says in his, in his letter, he said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. What? He's writing a letter to the church. And he says, what's this I hear that there is sexual immorality in the church of Corinth? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 21, Paul continues to write and he says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, he said, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. The church gets a little messy sometimes. (laughs) Because it's made up of people. 
And here Paul talks about division. He said there's division among you. There's quarreling. There's fussing. There's fighting. And then he said there's selfishness in your church. See, in that day, not only would they observe the Lord's Supper, but they'd have what they called before the Lord's Supper a love feast. It would be just a time that we would just call a time of food and fellowship. They would end the night with the Lord's Supper, but before that they would have a meal. And some of the people would get in front of the line. And get so much food that the people in the end of the line, there wasn't anything left over for them. And they're hungry. They would also have elite tables set up for the elite and separate the elite from those that were not. In the fellowship hall. And then he said there were some that were drunk. I guess it wasn't Welch's. In 3 John chapter 1 and verse number 9, it says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Don't look around, but have you ever met that person? Power struggle in the church. Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them. We know that church can get a little messy at times. Let me remind you this morning that the name of our church is the Grace Place. Notice the word grace. We're not the law place. We're not the legalism place. We're not the religious place. We're not the rules and regulations place. God said call your church the Grace Place. Hey, where Jesus is, people, people will gather. But what we need to understand this morning is that it's going to be all kinds of people. Troubled people are going to show up when Jesus is in the, in the midst. Amen. Hurting people are going to come. Confused people are going to come. Searching people are going to come. Sinful people are going to show up when Jesus is there. And where Jesus is, people will show up. And where Jesus is, people will present their problems. But the good news can be found in my next point. Number three, the third thing I see in this passage is people's problems are a priority to Jesus. We can discover this in verses 24 through 34. We first see it with Jairus. He presents the situation of his daughter to Jesus and and asks Jesus for help. And in verse number 24, it says that Jesus went with him. And yet the Bible says on the way to Jairus' house, a woman with a blood disease reaches out and touches Jesus. And the Bible said Jesus stopped and Jesus ministered to her. And Jesus took care of her need. And Jesus took time for her and gave 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 her some of his time. People's problems are a priority to Jesus. 
Logic tells me if people's problems are a priority to Jesus, then they ought to be a priority to us. You've heard it many times, you'll hear it many others, but this is the year of prayer. And on Saturday, March the 5th, I'm going to train what I'm calling the pastor's prayer partners. And these prayer partners are going to come early before church and they're going to bathe our church and our services in prayer before the people even get here. And then at some point in time in the service, they are going to be allowed to come to the front. And people with needs are going to be allowed to come forward and present their needs. And these prayer prayer partners who are representing me are going to lay their hands upon the people and they are going to pray for them. If, if, If people's needs was a priority to Jesus, I believe it ought to be a priority for us. Notice the next thing I see in this passage today. Persistence gets the attention of Jesus. In verse 21 it says that a great multitude gathered to him. And yet out of a great multitude only two people are singled out. Only two people out of, an, out of a multitude, possibly thousands of people, only two people are mentioned specifically. I ask you this morning, what was it about these two individuals that was different from all of the rest? What was it about them that caught the attention of Jesus? My answer would be persistence. Persistent faith to be more specific. Persistence gets the attention of Jesus. How about you today? What about you this morning? Listen, listen, you can, you can just be a nameless face in the crowd today or, or you can pursue Jesus and in pursuing Jesus you can get his attention. As I was looking this passage, reading this passage over and over and dissecting this passage and trying to look with fresh eyes, I, I, I discovered four enemies of persistence. If you're going to be persistent this morning, there's going to be some enemies that are going to arise in your life and raise their ugly head. And there are four enemies to persistence that you are going to have to overcome uh, if you truly are persistent. Now, the woman with the blood disease had to overcome the first two, and Jairus had to overcome the last two. The first one is disappointment. If you're persistent, you're going to have to overcome disappointment. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine the disappointment the woman with the blood disease must have felt? First of all, she had endured 12 long years of disappointment as she went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor in search of a cure. No doubt each one getting her hopes up perhaps only to be unable to deliver. And then one day she hears about this man named Jesus, this miracle worker. Oh, somebody said to her, he healed me. Surely he can heal you. Oh, her hopes were high once again. Oh, she goes out to see this man, this miracle worker, this man named Jesus. And yet when she gets to where he is, there is so many people, thousands of people. How would she ever get to him? But not only would she have to overcome disappointment, but also she would have to overcome difficulty. If you've ever been in a large crowd where everyone is trying to get to the same place at the same time, you know how difficult this can be. 
A crowd quickly turns into a mob. The sweet little old lady suddenly turns into the wicked witch of the West. Can you imagine the degree of difficulty this woman must have had to overcome as she literally had to push her way through the crowd? Listen, she wasn't the only one that wanted to touch Jesus that day. She wasn't the only one with a need that day. Can you imagine, oh, oh, what, what she had to overcome as she literally pushed her way through the crowd in order to get close enough to Jesus to be able to reach out and touch the hem of his garments? I asked you this morning, how about you? How about you today? Will you just blend in with the crowd today? Or will you persistently pursue Jesus and not stop pursuing Him until you touch Him? Persistence gets the attention of Jesus. There's some enemies of persistence that must be overcome. Notice enemy number three. Delay. This was the enemy that Jairus would have to overcome. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. They are on their way. Can you just imagine what must be going through Jairus' mind? He was thinking, perhaps, I I was afraid my daughter would die. Oh, but I have Jesus with me. Oh, we are on our way to my house right now where my baby girl is. And when we get there, Jesus is going to go into where she is. And Jesus is going to lay his hands upon my baby girl. And Jesus is going, Jesus is going to heal my baby girl. Oh, I can imagine in his mind he was saying, hurry, Jesus, hurry. Can we walk a little bit faster? And then... There she is, the woman with the blood disease. Now we have a delay. Jesus stops. Jesus ministers to her. Jesus talks to her. Jesus spends time with her. Precious time. Can you imagine? Oh, can you imagine as excited as the woman was, but can you imagine what's going on in Jairus' mind? No, no, we don't have time for this. Delay. Have you ever experienced delay? Delays are always at the wrong time. There's never, they're never convenient, no doubt. Chirus was screaming in his mind, come on, come on. Every second must have seemed like an hour. But Jairus hung in there. He didn't give up. But notice the fourth enemy of persistence. Despair. Verse 35, some came from Jairus' house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master any further? Can you imagine how Jairus must have felt when he heard the words, your daughter is dead? Only moments earlier he had such hope. He had gone to find Jesus and to take Jesus home with him and to heal his daughter. And he had found Jesus and Jesus had agreed to come. And they were on their way. But the delay, oh, if only they had not been delayed. Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't fear. Don't allow despair to rob you of your faith. Only believe. 
That's exactly what Jairus chose to do. He defeated the enemy of despair and persisted in faith. Oh, the question is this morning, how about you? How about you today? Will you, will you persist in faith or will you allow one of the enemies of persistence to defeat you? Let's look at the last thing that I see in our scripture for today. The fifth thing that I find in our passage today is the presence of Jesus Produces the power we need. Let me say two things here and then we'll be done for today. First of all, Jesus rewards faith. Jesus rewards faith. In verse number 34, Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Of your affliction. In verse 40, speaking of Jesus, it says, They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. The woman with the blood disease received her miracle because of her persistent faith. She had made up her mind to touch Jesus, and nothing or no one was going to stop her. Jairus, Jairus realized that the only hope his daughter had was was Jesus. And so he went after Jesus. And when he had Jesus, he didn't allow anything to keep him from bringing Jesus home with him. Listen, listen, between these two people, they had extremely high odds to overcome if they were going to get their miracle. But neither would let go of their faith. And Jesus rewarded them for it because Jesus rewards faith. But we also need to understand not only does Jesus reward faith, but also you need to understand Jesus rebukes the lack of faith. You find that in verses 39 and 40. When Jairus finally got Jesus to his house, the the mourners had already arrived. Mourning for his dead daughter had already begun when they got there. Jesus told everybody the little girl was only sleeping and would wake up soon. And the doubters began to laugh and the doubters began to mock and the doubters began to scorn and the doubters began to ridicule Jesus. I love what happens next. So Jesus just proceeded to toss all the naysayers out of the house. That's what he did. Come on. He just drop kicked. The doubters out of the house got rid of out of the got rid of all the doubt and unbelief. I wonder what God could do if we got rid of all the doubt and unbelief. Oh, sure, you'll be at each. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus just he did. He just proceeded to toss all the naysayers out of the house. He only brought the believers into the house with him to resurrect the dead girl. Jesus rebukes the lack of faith. said to his disciples one day, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? 
Why did you? You don't understand. It only takes the grain of a mustard seed. That little bitty tiny, tiniest seeds of all. If you just have that much faith, you can say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. If you don't doubt, you can have it. I believe God wants to do miracles in this place. I believe God wants to do miracles in, every, in, in hearts and in lives. If the musicians and singers would get back in place this morning, everyone, I'm not finished. Don't concentrate on them. Look at me this morning. The takeaway for the message this morning is this. Jesus wants to meet your needs. It's not that you have to beg and plead and twist his arm. He wants to meet the need. He's waiting for you to activate your faith. He's waiting for you to activate your faith. Now please hear what I have to say this morning. Hear this last part. Sometimes God takes you out of your situation and sometimes he takes you through it. And sometimes when God doesn't deliver us and he doesn't take us out of the situation, we blame him, we question him, we, we, we get angry, we get bitter, all of these things. Sometimes God takes you out of your situation and sometimes he takes you through it. Sometimes God delivers us and sometimes he sustains us. In either case, God's power is at work. Whether God gets me out or he gets me through, whether he delivers me or sustains me, in either case, God's power is at work. Who needs a miracle today?